and, and uh, finish up chapter 12 and the beginning of chapter 13 today. And then uh, Penny will be back next week, Pastor John Penny Legion, and we'll begin a series in the Psalms, I believe beginning with Psalm 1 next week. So if you want to read ahead, that's what's going to happen. I think he plans to get back to Exodus. We're going to leave the Israelites right on their way out before they cross the Red Sea, so they're kind of stuck in the middle for a while. <laughs> but um, you can rest assured that I won't take the time today to bring them all the way across. Let's bow in prayer before we open God's Word together. Lord, thank you for your Word today. We pray that you would help us to hear you today. Each one of us come with hearts that are divided and distracted, we pray that your powerful voice would speak through your word, through your spirit, that the need, the deepest needs of our hearts, the deepest need of our lives to know you, to be rescued by you, would be met today in Christ. In his name we pray, amen. So if you'd like to follow along, the text is in your order of worship, or in your um, smartphone, or your Bible, wherever you find it, if you would turn to Exodus chapter 12, beginning with verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover, no foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out, and when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No unleavened bread shall be seen with you. And no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, 
It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when the Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark to your, on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. In the middle of this exciting narrative of the great deliverance of God, we have this kind of parentheses where God interrupts the chain of events and reiterates. Some of this sounds familiar from the passage we read last week. And it is because it's a reiteration of God's commands ongoing. Based on what I have done, here's what I want you to do in the future. Here's how I want you to remember. And today's sermon really focuses, I believe this text focuses on the idea of remembering. You heard how many times we read today, by a strong hand I brought you out of Egypt. That's what you're to remember. And so remembering is a very simple thing, isn't it? But it yet is crucial to your life. Your life will be based and measured on what you remember and how well you remember. Ever think about that? Remembering is really important. We're not very good at it. Um, if you're a younger child or a parent of a younger child, you know that younger children, especially, we had trouble remembering. I can remember those days. My chores flew right out of my head. I was on to baseball before it even got um, to the front of my mind. And as we get older, um, I'm going to confess this because even though Mrs. Hart may not have noticed yet, um, our memories get a little bit weaker as well, and we easily forget things. But we all live in a distracted age, and forgetting is part of the human condition. We are but dust, and we, we don't hold everything in, it, in our minds at very well at all. And we're not all wise. We're not all knowing. And we, um, we live in an age that's very distracted. Somebody said the other day, they're doing a study, and they said the average person now looks at their smartphone 150 times a day. And they're actually, I don't know if you saw 60 Minutes a few weeks ago, but 
the software people are actually figuring out how to program your brain to make you do that. They're not writing code for smartphones, they're writing code to make you do things. And they're figuring out how to do that. So we live in an age that's constantly distracted. It's also very future focused. We, because of the advance of technology, we think the future is really what we need to be thinking about all the time. What's new? What's coming out? What's, what's the net latest version? What's the latest technology? So we don't tend to want to remember, we want to know the future. There's a prejudice against things that are, that are historical. C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery. He defined it as the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate common to our own age. And the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is on that account discredited. Scripture teaches us that we're to have a transformed mind, a renewed mind, a mind that thinks God's thoughts after him, a mind that thinks in a way that God has instructed us to think. And you notice in our text that this is the object of this discourse by the Lord. He goes, you, so that verse, uh, verse 2 of verse 3 of chapter 13. Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out. Don't forget this day. That it might be like a, like a frontlet or, a, or a, a mark on your hand or something tied between your eyes. You can imagine some piece of jewelry. Or it was actually, the Pharisees actually implemented a little, a little phylactery that they tied in front of their face to remind themselves of this truth. We would use, we used to use the expression, I don't know that we do it so much anymore, but tie a string around your finger, you know, and then, then you look at your finger and you think, what did I, what's that string doing around my finger? <laughs> so we're not very good at remembering, but we're to, we want to be a people that remember because this is very important to the Lord. And he's telling the Israelites, look, when you go into the land, your, re, your conquest of the land and your staying in the land will depend upon you remembering. You'll have to remember this constantly. You'll have to have this on your mind. You'll have to never forget. You'll have to always remember. We want to be a people who remember the Lord, and we want to be people who remember what the Lord has done. But why? Because really every sin that we, we ever commit is, first of all, a sin of forgetting. Right? You first have to forget who you are, who God is, what he has said, and then sin becomes more attractive, right? Forgetting is the opposite of love. If you've ever been forgotten, now Jenny grew up in a large family, and one time on the way home from church, one of their children was left at the church. And he remembers that to this day and regularly brings it up as a complaint. <laughs> Maybe you have that memory today, even as it's Father's Day, of being forgotten by a parent and how deeply wounding that was because it was the opposite of love to you to be forgotten. Every sin is, first of all, the sin of forgetting. It's the opposite of love but forgetting also makes unbelief. 
creates unbelief in our hearts instead of faith. When they were going to go into this land and they were going to have to face these nations more powerful than they were, giants in the land, they were going to have to remember that God had defeated Egypt by the, his mighty hand. And they were not to be afraid. And they were to go in. And we know the rest of the story, right? When they, when they sent the spies in and they saw the giants, they were all afraid. Why? Because they had forgotten in just a few short months. They had forgotten. So remember. First of all, God wants us to remember where we came from, where we came from. The Israelites, he said, you, you were slaves in Egypt. I brought you out of Egypt. I delivered you from the mightiest army, the mightiest king, the gods, the so-called gods who were believed to be the most powerful gods in all the universe. Those are the gods that I defeated, those false gods. I defeated the most powerful army. I defeated Pharaoh. I brought you out with my mighty hand. See, it had been a long time that they had been slaves. Just a bit earlier than our text today, we read it last week, Moses says 430 years they were slaves. 430 years. Just try to give us as Americans a context for that. 400 and... Ten years ago, Jamestown Colony was settled, right? Because of that, first colony in the New World, unless you're a Native American, you're here today because of that. Now, how many people feel really strongly connected to the Jamestown Colony and, and remember and think about that regularly and kind of maintain your whole family history based on that event? That's how long they had been slaves. They had become slavish in their thinking. They had become slavish in their culture. They had become slaves in every way. And in the scripture records, when they came out of Egypt, many of them brought idols with them. Many of them brought false beliefs with them. Many of them brought that slave mentality to Egypt. And God says, but I want you to remember that you were a slave. Can you imagine crying out to God after 400 years to say, God, would you come and rescue me? Would you come and rescue me? And he did. But he waited so long, didn't he? He waited so long, so many generations. Why did... They were to remember that, that they had waited so long and God did come. He did hear their cry. He did know their, to see their suffering. He did rescue them in a mighty way by his mighty hand. And this is the key thing that Israel was to remember. This is the greatest transformational event. It changed them from a nation of slaves to, the, to a, a royal kingdom ruled by God, a royal people, a people of nation of priests, no longer a nation of slaves. This was a defining moment in their history. They were not to forget it. So how do we look at that? Well, we can also say that once we were slaves of sin, Jesus said, everyone, I tell you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, John 8, 34. We forget our bondage. We can remember the pleasure, 
but not the consequences. Over and over again, Israel would forget. What did they do when they got hungry? They complained to Moses and they said, Moses, why don't you just let us go back to Egypt? They had melons and cantaloupes and all kinds of onions and leeks and things that we could eat. At least we had that. They forgot the slavery and they remembered the melons. Right? And we can be that way. We can be that kind of people. We forget that our greatest peril maybe wasn't being a slave to Pharaoh and subject to genocide, but our greatest peril is the righteous judgment of God. That's true for every person, everyone here, everyone on the, every human being. Our greatest peril is that someday each one of us will face the righteous judgment of God. Scripture says it is appointed to man to die once, and after this comes judgment. If we could just remember that, how different our lives would be, how grateful we would be every day, how rejoicing we would be that the eternal punishment that we were headed toward justly, that we were going to have to stand before God and give an account and we would have nothing to say other than guilty, 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 guilty. God has rescued us in Christ. And this is the real message of this whole Passover event, is, as Pastor Penny Legion described last week. This judgment, this, when they called for God's help, when you and I call for God's help to rescue us, we have to know that when he comes, he comes in righteous judgment. Who will stand on that day? They were subject to the death penalty just as the Egyptians, but they had been delivered by the blood of the Lamb. And this event, God says, I don't ever want you to forget. I don't ever want you to forget where you've come from. Your greatest deliverance is only by redemptive judgment. See, God didn't come and just say, okay, you know, I kind of like the Israelites more than I like the Egyptians, and I'm going to free you from slavery. I'm going to make, get, let you buy property, and you're going to get rich, and you're going to live comfortable, happy lives, and everything will just go just the way. No, he came in redemptive judgment on all the land and on all of the people, and he said, okay, now enough is enough. I'm coming to destroy Egypt in judgment, but I'm also have to pass through the Israelites. And if I do that, you will die unless you're covered by the blood of the Lamb. So what a, what a transforming event in their lives. Uh, years ago, I had a, my former CEO of the company I worked for. Um, he became entrapped in all kinds of sin, and one of them was drug addiction. And Mike told me the story a year later of how he had found himself overdosed, laying on the floor, literally paralyzed, unable to move or speak, but knowing that because he had witnessed two of his friends die the same way, that he was about to die of an overdose. 
He was about to black out, and he was about to die. And he cried out, God, save me. His testimony was, he said, Doug, I didn't see anything, but something came upon me, and my mind was clear, and the symptoms of the overdose went away, and I felt completely wrapped in this warmth, and I knew it was God, and I knew he answered my prayer, and I, and I said to Mike, what did you think at that moment? He said, I didn't know what to think. The only thought that could, was in my mind constantly was, your life will never be the same after this. You will never live the way you've lived. Everything's going to change. I, he didn't know how. He didn't know his Bible. He didn't know Jesus. He didn't know a lot of things. But he knew that God had rescued him. He knew where he had come from. And it changed his life. Second thing that God wants us to remember is who we belong to, whose you are. When he talked about Israel, he says, out of Egypt, I've called my son. You belong to me. This whole concept of redemption here is that now they are in a new family. And this family is not just an ethnic family any longer. It's a family of God's grace. And that's why at the beginning of this section, we have this long description of how the sojourner, any, any person from any other nation could come and he could be, have his males of his family circumcised and participate in this remembrance of the Passover and be a part of that community, a part of that family. It's really a foreshadowing of of who we are today as the church of Jesus Christ is sent out into the nations to gather them. And actually what happened when, when the Israelites left Egypt, many Egyptians went with them. Many people from other nations that perhaps had been slaves as well came with them, just knowing, look, God is with you, we're going too. And because of that, the invitation was open. Now you are a people belonging to me. You're a new family. A great theme in literature, and in probably almost every, uh, most of the great stories that we have are, are hinge on the, on the idea that a person forgets who they are, and then they remember, and then they come back, or they become what they should have could have been. Right? Those are the great stories. The parable of the prodigal son is one where Jesus told that that story, and the hinge point and the turning point of the parable of the prodigal son, he forgets that he's a son. He forgets who his father is. He just wants what he wants, and he squanders it, and he insults his family, and he brings disgrace, and he lives a life that's terrible. And then in the middle of that story, it says, then he came to himself. He remembered who he was. And he began to think about his father. And there's so many stories like that in, um, throughout literature. If you want to think of more examples, there are many of them. Where that's the key thing, is remembering whose we are. We serve the king. In Herman Melville's 
short novel, Billy Budd. That's the turning point of the whole story where the um, officers in the British Navy are holding a court-martial trial of Billy Budd and they're about to acquit him because he's such a lovely fellow, but he did accidentally strike an officer and the officer died. And they, it's this good and evil story and they're about to do uh, what they want to do, but Captain Veer reminds them, no, we are men, we are the king's officers. We are officers in the king's navy. We are under the king's law. We have to do what that law says. The whole story turns. Throughout literature, throughout your life and mine, our lives will hinge on remembering who you belong to, who you belong to. Don't ever forget that. I had to sit with wives who cry and ask me, how could my husband have done that? Why would he do that to me? Why would he betray me? Why would he be unfaithful? And unfortunately, the story is he wasn't thinking about you at all. He had forgotten. He put that out. He put all those promises, all that truth, who he was as a husband, he had put that out of his mind and been carried away by his own lust and sin. We want to be people who remember who we are. And the, the text that we have today says that when, we, when they observed this Passover, that the children would ask, why are we doing this? And we would have an opportunity to teach them so they would remember. It's the first example, really, of catechism in the Bible, question and answer. And that's our duty as well, to not only say, God brought me out, this is my testimony, but it's the testimony of our children as well, because together, God has delivered us in Christ. The next thing we want to remember, the last, is where we're going. Where are you going? Well, for the Israelites, they had an object lesson for this as well. What's this about the unleavened bread? Well, for seven days after the Passover, you're not to eat any leavened bread, no bread that rises, just a little flat bread without any yeast in it. Leaven is yeast, and leaven almost always symbolizes sin or evil in the Bible. So metaphorically, they were to get rid of all the leaven and all the yeast in their house and only to eat unleavened bread for a whole week in order to remember where they're going and what they're doing, because where God is taking them, sin has to go. Sin has to be dealt with. Sin has to be repented of. Sin has to be put aside. You're not to go on this journey that I'm taking you as the new people of God and bring sin with you. You're to be putting it constantly aside, and that's going to be a repetitive lesson year in and year out, seven days feast at the, at the end of Passover. God institutes. He's going to take, take them on a journey following him out into the wilderness, out into a place where there is no food, there is no water, there is no visible means of support. There's all kinds of danger. And they're going to have to remember that God has taken care of them in the past and delivered them, and he's going to do that every day. And they're going to have to learn to eat manna and be supplied by that daily supply. 
Because God says, why, why am I doing this? He says in Deuteronomy 4, he says, I, I did that in order to test you and to try you so that you would know what's in your heart. That's where God is taking us in Christ. I don't know about you, but I often like to think God's agenda for me is comfort, ease, everything just happy and good, and life should be wonderful. Lord, please make it so. But God says, no, when, now that I've bought you, I've redeemed you by my mighty right hand, you belong to me, and I'm going to take you into places where you wouldn't go unless I led you. And I'm going to take you there because I'm going to show you what's in your heart. I'm going to deal with the indwelling sin in your life. Your whole lifetime is going to be one of repentance and discovery of more sin and more repentance and discovery of more need of Christ and more repentance. And that's what is going to happen, that you might know my ways. But a beautiful thing that he wants them to remember is before I give you my laws and I teach you my ways and I command you to walk in them before Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments, there first of all is the Passover. And I want you to remember my grace toward you in rescuing you in the land. Secondly, we're not where we're going is wherever the Lord takes us, but it's going to be through the wilderness. We also know that we're headed to a promised land. Israelites literally were headed to a typological promised land, the land of Canaan, but they weren't there yet. Similarly, we're not there yet, and we're going to go through many tests. One of the tests that God is warning them about is the test of prosperity. He says, when you get in the land, the land flowing with milk, of hun milk and honey, a land that you did not, farms that you did not plow and fields that you did not create and vines that you did not plant, you're going to become wealthy. I'm going to bless you. But don't forget me in that test. Many more people have failed the test of, of prosperity than have failed the test of adversity. And of course, that's exactly what happens it's exactly the downfall of Israel in the promised land that they even neglect the Passover and they forget because they're at ease. God says to them, the reason you forget is that I hadn't changed your heart. I hadn't given you a heart to obey yet. That's what we're looking for forward to and that's the benefit of the new covenant that's the difference between us and them that's the reason that we don't celebrate Passover that we celebrate the Lord's Supper is because in the final culmination of the Passover Jesus Christ is the one who fulfills it when he on the Mount of Transfiguration Moses and Elijah come to Jesus and they talk to him about his exodus. They talk to him, that's literally the word used, his exodus. ESV says departure. But the word is exodus. And Jesus fulfills all that's prefigured here in the Passover and the exodus story. 
He fulfills it by being the firstborn son. When we read this, we read about the firstborn, and it seems rather harsh. It talks about breaking donkeys' necks and things that are unfamiliar to us. But what's the point of all that? It is the point that God is making is, you belong to me. All of you belong to me, not just the firstborn. The firstborn is like the tithe. They're the the symbol. But by remembering that, you will be faithful to me. If you forget that, I will cut you off. So the firstborn had to be redeemed. They had to be a special sacrifice given for them to live if they were humans. If they weren't humans, they were to be sacrificed. Um, So Jesus is the firstborn. God doesn't redeem him. He sacrifices him. He comes to be that sacrifice. He comes to be the one who died in our place to redeem us so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, that you and I might be part of his family. And Jesus finishes this whole system off by saying, I'm the final one. I'm, I'm the final sacrifice. I'm the last sacrifice. I am the firstborn now among many brethren. I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. Exactly the same language that's used here in ransoming the firstborn. To get your life back, to get your family's life back, a sacrifice had to be made, and that sacrifice was the firstborn of God himself, the only begotten son. The central figure in the Passover, the central part of the Passover meal is the lamb. Can't have pat, the, the, the whole meal, the whole ceremony is about the lamb, and that's why there's such details about it, how to cook it, how to prepare it. Don't break any of its bones. It's an interesting one because John picks that up in John 19 and says about Jesus, none of his bones were broken. Central thing that they were to remember was that lamb, by that blood of the lamb, they were rescued, they were preserved through God's judgment, they were delivered and they were made God's people and by his mighty hand they were, as it were, raised from the dead and they were brought together as God's people. In um, Revelation chapter 5, I'm just going to turn there real quickly and read a couple of verses, but you know who the central character is in the book of Revelation? It's the Lamb of God. Throughout Revelation chapter 5, they sang a new song to the Lamb, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them kingdom, a kingdom and priests to our God. <clears throat> they shall reign on the earth. Down below in verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So that's why as we come to the Lord's table in a few minutes, 
we're not looking backwards to the Passover lamb. We're looking to the fulfillment of that, the lamb of God who sits at the right hand of God the Father, who has presented the blood of his sacrifice and been received in us. And in him, we have gone through that exodus. If you are in Christ, you have been through the exodus. This is now your story and mine. We, have, we are no longer slaves to sin, but now we belong to him. A wonderful incident that Luke records, very familiar to you all. On the cross, when the criminal beside him turns to him, turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Your faith and mine is based on, the, on a God who remembers, who never forgets, who always keeps all of his promises, all of his word is true. We can count on him completely. And Jesus turns to that condemned criminal, a thief, and says, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's who we're to remember. <laughs> That's the work of the lamb that we, you and I are to rejoice in and to keep right in the front of our minds. And God's given us not only his word, but also the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And instead of doing it once a year at the beginning of the year, see the Israelites had their, had their New Year's day was really changed into the Passover day. That was the beginning of their year, like their birthday. Our day, our new day, is every Lord's Day when we remember the death and resurrection of Christ and we remember where we came from, and whose we are, and where we're going. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that we can know you through your word, through your work in history, the finished work laying down your life for us as the true Lamb of God. We pray that you would increase our faith, or if we have not ever believed, that today we would believe that you've come for us, not only for others, but the invitation is for us as well, to rest in you, to follow you. By your grace, we pray in Jesus' name.